Hello and welcome to the secret history of art. I'm Noah Charney. Today we continue with our study of fake relics. In the previous episode, we discussed the James Ossuary, and today we will discuss the most famous fake relic in the world, the Shroud of Turin. In the pantheon of Catholic relics, there are few more renowned than the Shroud of Turin. A linen cloth thought to have been used to wrap the body of Christ as he was prepared for burial. The shroud is still a major tourist attraction, both secular and religious. And yet, as early as the 13th century, a bishop had written to the Pope demanding that the Vatican declare the shroud to be a fake. In the 20th century, the shroud was subjected to scientific analysis, a hugely rare event for a religious relic, and the 13th century bishop's suspicions were confirmed. The shroud appeared to have been created, painted, circa 1300, in order to look like an ancient relic. But that has not stopped tourists, pilgrims, and conspiracy theory novelists from stoking the flames of intrigue surrounding one of the most famous objects in the world. The cult of a miraculous cloth actually begins around the same time. The legend of the Veronica Veil, a sudarium, literally a cloth for sweat, that Veronica was said to have proffered to Christ on his way to Calvary does not appear in the Bible. The story goes that Christ wiped his sweaty, blood-stained brow with the cloth and handed it back to Veronica. But the cloth, or veil, miraculously retained an image of Christ's face in it, which it does to this day. It became one of the most important relics held at the Vatican and is worshipped there, although the public is not permitted to see it. The Veronica Vale story was largely disseminated by the huge, best-selling group biography of the saints, called The Golden Legend, by the 13th century Archbishop of Genoa, Jacobus Davoragine. Suffice it to say that the story as it was related in The Golden Legend became part of the apocryphal canon, stories that are not in the Bible itself, but that we associate integrally with the life of Christ to the point where most people assume that the story is in the Bible. Jacobus himself ends his relation of Veronica Vale's story with a caveat, quote, and hitherto is the story called Apocryphum read. They that have read this, let them say and believe as it shall please them, unquote. The Shroud of Turin rises from the tradition launched largely by the popularity of the Veronica Vale, itself an acaropoetia, a spontaneously generated image, not made by human hand, to use the Greek term. In particular, it is associated with the idea of a mandilion, a version of the Veronica Vale story in which an ill king was sent the veil, or mandilion, by Veronica and by holding it was miraculously cured. The idea that some works were miraculously created without human intervention is a popular one, and throughout the Middle Ages, cults of worship of such images rose up in Europe. The shroud is meant to be seen as one such miraculous relic. So what is the shroud? Literally, it is a linen sheet of the sort that would wrap a body as it was prepared for burial. This linen sheet bears the imprint of a bearded man, arms folded across his groin. Most importantly, one can clearly see wounds in his wrists, as if he had been crucified. However, it is far easier to see the form of a man's body in a photographic negative image of the shroud. 
seeing it in person makes it difficult to make out the form upon it. The first record of the Shoud is in Léry in France in the 1350s, when the Lord of Savoy established a church dedicated to its veneration. It was said to have been brought to France from the Holy Land by a French knight, Geoffrey de Charny, no relation to me as far as I know, who died at the Battle of Poitiers in 1356. This Charny is not to be confused with the Templar knight, Geoffroy de Charny, who may have been related to the former and was burned at the stake in 1314. He is also no relation, but hey, you never know. Pierre d'Arcy, the Bishop of Troyes, wrote to Pope Clement VII in Avignon in 1389, requesting that the shroud be declared a false relic. As early as 1389, a bishop was convinced that the shroud was a fake. His rationale? As Martin Kemp points out in his book Christ to Coke, d'Arcy wrote that his predecessor as Bishop of Troyes, Henri de Poitiers, quote, eventually, after diligent inquiry and examination, unquote, concluded that, quote, said cloth had been cunningly painted, the truth being attested by the artist who had painted it, to wit, that it was the work of human skill and not miraculously wrought or bestowed, unquote. Case closed, right? The bishop's word was insufficient to quell the enthusiasm of the worshipping masses to see relics. The fact that there was a lively trade in fake relics throughout the Middle Ages did not stop the hunger for worshippers to see tangible proof that supports their beliefs. The shroud remained part of the House of Savoy and was a tourist attraction even in the 16th century, when it was officially moved to Turin in 1578 so that pilgrims could see it more easily. There it has remained. In 1958, the Vatican officially approved of the shroud as a legitimate means of Catholic devotion. But authorities in Turin did something extraordinary in 1988. They permitted the shroud to undergo scientific testing from three different international laboratories. The Vatican has never permitted this for their relics. After all, it's a situation that can only be detrimental to them. If the science proves the relic to be of the correct age, and therefore possibly legitimate, then they have not really gained anything. True believers believed anyway, and that a relic is the correct age does not necessarily convince non-believers to start believing. However, if the science disproves the possible authenticity of the relic, then the church would have egg on its face. Something touted as legitimate and prayed to by millions will have been proven false. We can understand why it is a rare thing for a religious relic to be offered up for scientific study. And yet, in 1988, the shroud was sent to three labs. But before we get to the scientific analysis, art historian Martin Kemp, who briefly discusses the shroud in his book Christ to Coke, offers an art historical analysis that does not support its authenticity. Kemp notes that the linen that had been placed on a corpse would have sunken around the body, molding to it but the linen was stretched flat afterwards. When the linen was stretched flat afterwards, impressions of the flanks of the body, the top of the head, and the soles of the feet would likely be visible. In the shroud, they are not visible. Only the front of the corpse may be seen. The limbs of the corpse are stick-like, and even the figures look more like Gothic painted anatomy rather than any real body. Kemp suggests that, if asked to estimate the date of the shroud as an artwork, he would suggest the late 13th, early 14th century. 
The art historical analysis matches the scientific studies. Carbon dating from the scientific labs placed the shroud circa 1300. University of Oxford, University of Arizona, and the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology all agreed that the shroud dated from 1260 to 1390 AD, with a 95% confidence in this date range, about as good as one could hope for with carbon dating. So the original bishop of Troyes was supported by 20th century science. It appears that the shroud was created around 1300 in order to look like an ancient relic. A separate study was done by a renowned forensic scientist, Walter McCrone, in 1979, and this suggested that the image of the body of the shroud was actually made up of microscopic pigment particles, and therefore that the image had been painted with hematite, an iron oxide otherwise known as blood ore. The debate rages as it will when objects of devotion clash with scientific studies and when imagination and romanticism duels with empirical evidence. The bottom line is that belief in relics such as the Shroud are a choice that anyone is permitted to make, though so often we forget that the Church does not permit the worship of idols and that any image or relic is meant as a devotional aid through which one is brought closer to God. The object itself must not be worshipped. Martin Luther and the Reformation objected to the confusion on the part of Catholics as to whether they were praying to or praying through objects. The latter was acceptable, the former not. But the cult of relics and relic worship provides a mid-ground for pure believers and those who need some evidence before they are willing to believe. True believers point to a relic as tangible evidence of what they would believe anyway while those on the fence feel that their belief is warranted thanks to the presence of visible proof of what they would like to believe in. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Secret History of Art. I'm Noah Charney, and I'll see you next time.